we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death's death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Oh, that was really depressing. (laughs) My goodness. Thank you, Joy. And the rest of you, good evening. There we go. Should we uh, pray and then we'll uh, dive into God's Word. Do keep that open in front of you if you've got a Bible uh, and open it if you haven't got it open because we're going to be looking at these uh, words from God. But let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. God, we thank you that through it we have an opportunity to meet with our Lord and Saviour and to be filled uh, by your Spirit. And God, we pray that that would happen tonight as we come now uh, to look at this passage. Would you help us to see Jesus, to become more like him, and to learn to love him more? Amen. Amen. 
Some of you uh, may remember, if you were here uh, a few weeks ago uh, during the summer, that I preached uh, on uh, Ruth in our Unlikely Heroes uh, sermon series. And, and if you were here, you may remember kind of that my main point, uh, my thesis statement, if you will, uh, was that all of us, you and I, uh, are thoroughly, uh, thoroughly ordinary uh, because I'm fun and pastoral like that. This is a sort of encouraging thing I like to, to bring to you all. And I stand by what I said. You know, we are not the main characters uh, of this kind of big story of faith uh, that we're a part of. But that's just one side of the coin uh, of our identity as children of God. And tonight I want to look at the other side, the other part of the picture of what it means for you and I to be children of God. Because in the passage we just had read for us, we see something that perhaps at first is surprising that you and I are far more significant, that we have a far greater calling and purpose than perhaps we ever dreamt was possible. Because in this passage, what we see is that you and I simply by nature of being human beings, are made to rule with royal authority. We've been made to go out into the world as sons and daughters of our heavenly king in order to use the gifts that our God has given us to shape and to cultivate and to create a world that is filled with God's blessing and joy and love and grace. We're far more significant than we perhaps ever dreamed or imagined was possible. And so this evening, I want to invite you to step into your calling, to realize your royal authority, and to lean on your saviour, Jesus Christ, who has made such a glorious and wonderful and significant life possible. And we're going to do that by jumping into this chapter, into Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start from verse 5. And so if you are listening to that reading and thinking, man, there's some weird stuff about angels in these first few verses, uh, then I'm not going to address that whatsoever. Uh, So if you want to know more, come and speak to me afterwards or or kind of do some research in the week. It's good stuff, but it's not where we're going tonight. So I'm going to ask you to park the angel stuff and we can talk about it later if you want to. So starting from verse 5. Because what we get here is a, is a bit of a surprise. Because in verses 5 to 8, the author of Hebrews gives us his vision for what it means for us to be human beings. And it's a vision that's expansive and grand. He says we've been crowned with glory and honor. That everything has been put under our feet. And that the world has been subjected to us. And at first reading, this all sounds, I think, a little bit arrogant. It's a little bit ridiculous. You know, this doesn't sound like the author is describing describing human beings as you and I know them. But what he's doing is pointing beyond perhaps our personal experience. And he's pointing all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. To the first two chapters of this book, Genesis 1 and 2. 
And he's reminding us of our great calling. Because in those chapters, at the very beginning of the Bible, in this story that's kind of a foundation for everything that follows, we discover that you and I, that humanity, has been made to rule. Our creator, God, we read, creates the land and the sky. He creates water and animals. He creates birds and fish. He creates all of these things and he says that it's good. And then at the peak of his creation, as he reaches a crescendo of all he's doing, we read that he creates man and woman, human beings. And we're told that he does it in his image. Genesis says this, it's Genesis 1 verse 27. He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. You and I, human beings, have been made in the image of God. And theologians have spent centuries wrestling with exactly what it means for us to be image bearers of our heavenly king. And there's a lot that we could say, but there's one fundamental reality about what it means to be an image bearer that's relevant for us this evening. And what it means is that to be an image bearer means to carry God's authority in the world. Means being given God's authority to rule and to reign. So it's a bit like you and I are stewards in a in a kingdom where the king uh, has gone away. He's he's not here uh, at the moment, and so he leaves a steward in his place uh, with all of his authority to rule, not as the true king, but as his representative. This is, you may recognize, your moment for your regularly scheduled Lord of the Rings reference, which is apparently the thing that I do here. It's like Denethor in The Return of the King. He's the steward. He's not the true king, but he's left with all authority to rule and to reign. And Genesis says we're sort of like stewards. We've been left with God's authority. And he unpacks what that means in the next verse, in verse 28. He says that stewardship that human beings have been given looks like this. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So you and I, image bearers of God, with the authority to rule and to reign, are told that what that looks like is to go and make families and to subdue the earth. And and subduing the earth is illustrated in, in the next few verses of Genesis with the picture of gardening we get this picture of image bearers who who are rulers not to be dictatorial, not to be overbearing, not to crush those around us like we so often see in rulers in the world, but we're to be rulers who cultivate and harvest, who turn the raw potential of the created world. We take that raw potential and turn it into something beautiful and something new. It's like gardeners, that's why the picture we're given, it's like gardeners taking a patch of ground and turning it into a beautiful garden, taking a possibility and making a reality. And so quite literally, what that means for you and I as image bearers is that we're to plant crops and to make foods, we're to grow families and build communities, we're to start businesses and found cities and form culture. Every time we take the raw material of the world and turn it into something new and good and beautiful, we're living out our calling as image bearers in 
the world, creatively and beautifully shaping what God has given us, taking it somewhere new, taking it towards the ultimate future that God has in mind for it when he says again that it is good. You and I as image bearers, given God's authority to rule and to reign, are to join with our creator God creatively in the world. And in the Genesis story, we again see the the vision for this, the picture of what this was meant to look like as God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And to me, this looks like an apprenticeship. It's like a mentoring program where God goes uh, as the ultimate uh, ruler with his image bearers and shows them what it looks like to create and to shape and to cultivate. He shows them how to use their creative power to make good in the world, how to be stewards. We've been given a great calling, image bearers of God. And that means you and I are not just here. This isn't a mistake. God didn't just need to fill the earth with a few more creatures. He wasn't bored. We're not an accident. No, you and I have been placed in this world with a divine mandate to rule, to create and cultivate, and to shape the world for good and for the blessing of others. The author of Hebrews tells us that God has placed everything under us, that nothing is not subject to us. But then we get to the end of verse 8. And there's this cutting blow of the reality as we perhaps know it. He says it this, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. Because the the problem that we face is that our great calling has turned into a great mess. And again, the foundation story of the Bible, those first three chapters begin to tell us about the problem. All the way back in Genesis 3, we see this illustrative story of image bearers going wrong. Because rather than trusting God, trusting the God who said that it was good, rather than following him in the garden, Adam Adam and Eve chose to grab at what was good, to define it themselves. And so we have this story of Adam and Eve eating fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. It's a picture, a story that points us towards a reality that human beings as image bearers, rather than trusting God, try to define what is right and what is wrong ourselves. We don't take time to listen to what God has to say, what he wants to define in our lives, but we grab at it ourselves. Genesis 3 begins a story that continues for the rest of the Bible and a reality that we see around us. That trying to define good for ourselves, it all goes wrong. And so as image bearers with this authority to rule, rather than shaping and cultivating beautiful creation for the blessing of others and for the world, humanity does something very different. Don't get me wrong, we, we do a lot of good stuff. We create music and medicine. We build societies and write software. We do a lot of creative good, but we also cause a lot of destructive 
dehumanizing, self-seeking mess. War, economic injustice, porn, pollution, poverty. The list goes on. Image bearers with the power to create and rule and shape do it in the wrong way and make a mess. And, And you know what? I think we've all experienced this. I think we all know that this is true because humans as image bearers have great power to affect the world around them. And maybe you've before been on the receiving end of another person who's used that innate human capacity to impact the world around them as they've turned that power on you, not to build you up, but to tear you down. Maybe you've been crushed by painful words. Maybe someone's hit you with thoughtless actions or or even worse, intentional harm. Maybe you've been scarred by the mess of human stewardship. You felt the negative impact of another person's power. Or maybe, and I think this is probably true for all of us. I think it's probably certainly true for all of us. It's definitely true of of me. Maybe you've been the person who's done that scarring and the guilt of what you've done walks with you. You're still feeling the hurt and the pain of the hurt and the pain that you caused. Humanity in our sin has made a mess of the divine trust that God has given us as his image bearers. And our mistakes infect every level of our lives and our communities and our relationships. We squander and throw away the rule God has entrusted us with and the author of Hebrews recognizes the end result of all that. At present, he says, we do not see everything subject to them. The stewards aren't carrying the authority of the king as they were meant to. This is our great calling to be image bearers. This is the great mess that we've each made of it. But the author of Hebrews, having laid out this foundation, really starts to get going. Because this is where Jesus steps on to the scene. And we learn that despite the mess that we've made, you and I have a great saviour. Because right at the end of the description of how we've gone wrong, how things were meant to be, and then how we messed it up, as soon as verse 8 finishes, in verse 9, the author of Hebrews rushes into God's solution to the problem. And it's Jesus Christ who we read is now crowned with glory and honour. The glory and honour that you and I were meant to have as we read in verse 7. But we squandered as we failed to live as image bearers. Jesus has now received. Jesus is the one who has done what we could not. Where we failed, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus was successful. When we fail to be image bearers of God in the world, Jesus came 
and most perfectly and beautifully showed the world what God's rule and reign is like. Jesus did what you and I could not do, but that is not necessarily good news. Because it's perhaps not surprising that where we were unsuccessful, God managed to do it. That's not a surprise to anyone because God is not like us. We are not like God. We can't do the things that God can do. So the fact that God came and was successful isn't necessarily helpful for us. It's almost like you and I are running a race as amateurs and then this professional running team, as you can tell I know a lot about how running works, but this professional running team comes in and destroys us in the race because of course they do. Of course these uh, Olympic athletes can beat us in a, in a race. But that's not what the author of Hebrews says has happened because Jesus, he says, is not running for another team. But Jesus is wearing one of our jerseys. He's our representative on the track. Because the author of Hebrews tells us that rather than being different and other, that Jesus is one of us. Look at verse 9. It says he was made a little lower than the angels, just like us. Look at verse 11. We're told we are in the same family as Jesus, his brothers and sisters. Look at verse 14 and then a little bit further ahead from what we read, verse 17. The author of Hebrews just can't contain it. He just comes out and says it. He says, Jesus shared in our humanity. He was made like us, fully human in every way. And this is the good news of the gospel. Not that God came and did what we couldn't do, but that God has chosen to step into the world as one of us, as a human being, and as a human, do what the rest of us could not do. He's identified as closely as possible with, one, with us by becoming one of us, by becoming fully human. And so because of Jesus, there's an image bearer in the world who has lived out that rule and reign as he was meant to. He's been successful on our behalf where we have failed. And he succeeded in the most remarkable way. Look at the end of verse 9. Author of Hebrews says that he is successful in this rule, in this authority, with this power, ultimately by dying on the cross. Because what we see happen on the cross is that Jesus faces the consequences of every mistake that you and I have made. When we use our power in the wrong way and it does something, What it does, it ultimately leads to death and destruction when we go wrong. And on the cross, Jesus has faced that destructive power and beaten it. Because in the resurrection, when he rises again, we see that all of those consequences of the things that we do wrong are not enough to overcome him. But in his death, Jesus overcomes our mistakes. He's bigger than them. He's more powerful than them. He utterly exhausts and uses up every consequence of where we've gone wrong as image bearers. Jesus has succeeded as a human being where we could not. And I just want to finish by by suggesting three things that this means for us. 
Firstly, as we said, Jesus as our representative has succeeded where we weren't able to. He was faithful, creative, and cultivating of a world that God has made. He was the steward that God always intended you and I to be. But having been successful, what the New Testament goes on to tell us is that he doesn't just leave us. He's not just successful and then goes away, but he kind of blazes a new trail and invites us to follow him. And the New Testament tells us that he does that by giving us his spirit. He offers to fill us with his power and his authority so that you and I can be image bearers like Jesus is an image bearer. We're not left by ourselves to do this, but he invites to come and live with us and in us and work alongside us and equip us to do what we can't do. He sends his spirit so that we can live and be more like him. Jesus is our representative who makes it possible for us to be like him. That's the first thing. Secondly, as we live in this in-between time, where we're still facing the consequences of the mistakes and the messes that we've made. We know that we have a God who understands what we're facing. He's not distant and far away, but he's like us. He has become one of us. And so he understands what it means to live in this world of mess. Verse 18 says it perfectly. It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you feeling the pain and the consequences of the mistakes that you've made? Are you feeling the pain and the consequences of the mess that someone else has made in your life? Know this, Jesus understands what you're going through. I might not understand what you're going through. Your friends and your family might not understand what you're going through, but Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. Jesus has faced the power of every mistake and every mess and every destructive thing that we've done. And so he knows what you're going through. But he doesn't just know He offers to walk alongside you through the mess. He's with you. He's always with you. Jesus is with you now. Some of you are right in the middle of a storm. And you feel like you've been facing it by yourself. But no, Jesus is there with you. He understands. You're never alone. Jesus is with us. And thirdly... And finally, because Jesus is one of us, he is able to represent us and take our place. These verses at the end of this chapter of Hebrews are the author telling us over and over again that by Jesus becoming human and dying for us, he's been able to take the place that you and I should have had to take. He's faced the consequences for our mistakes so that we don't have to. And as a result, you and I can live through his death. We're told that he tasted death for us 
that he made us holy, that he broke the power of death over us, that he set us free from slavery, that he atoned for our sins. Jesus has taken our place and this means that the cross is not the act of a vengeful and angry God. Maybe you've looked at the cross, at the death of Jesus before and it just looks like a a capricious God punishing a random person for something that they didn't do. But that is not what the gospel says Jesus did on the cross. It was God himself stepping into the world and with self-sacrificial love taking the bullet for us, taking the consequences of our messes and dealing with them so that you and I don't need to, because we can't. Jesus is not just another martyr, but he is a victor who has faced this enemy and won. He's faced death and destruction and separation from God, so you and I don't need to, but he's beaten it so that we can become part of his family and be set free from the mess that you and I and others have made. And so I finish with some invitations. What does this mean for us? How might we respond? Firstly, if you're not part of the family, Hebrews tells us that we're brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ, but if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus and come into the family then why don't you? This evening, you have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to say that you want to follow his rule and his reign, to live like him as an image bearer and not go your own way anymore. Tonight, you can give your life to Jesus, come into the family and find a new life that can begin today and is beautiful and creative Come into the family. Or if you're in the family, then let's come again to Jesus in worship. To this saviour who has done so much for us. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't a God like this worth thanking and praising? Let's come to him tonight again in worship. And finally, let's be image bearers again. Let's allow the power of this saviour to fill us afresh and equip us to live and work in the world with creative, constructive and cultivating power as stewards of a king who has sent us out to represent his rule and reign and bring blessing and goodness into the world. And you'll notice I've not told you what that looks like because it will look so different for each of us and it looks like everything that we do. You'll be an image bearer in your workplace and in your families, in your university and with your friends. You'll be an image bearer as you follow Christ in everything you do to bring blessing and goodness with all the power that God has given you. What is important is not the what I mean, that is important, but that's not for me necessarily right now to tell you. What's important for me to tell you is the how. And the how is be filled by the Spirit. 
Let God who can do this equip you so that you can do it. And so I want to pray for, I want to pray for all of us, but I'm going to pray for the people who want those things. Maybe you're here and you want to come into the family. Maybe you're here and you feel the stir to worship and you want God's help to do that as you should. Maybe you're here and you want to go out into the world as an image bearer to create and cultivate and shape God's good world. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave and really bold uh, because I think sometimes to respond, we need to kind of draw a line in the sand and, and put down a marker of what we're doing. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and if you want to respond to any of those things, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and I'm going to pray for you. And that's not because it's particularly spiritual. I'm going to be honest, it's partly to put you on the spot because if we can't respond in front of family and friends, then we probably won't be able to respond out there in the world. But I'm also going to do it to give you an opportunity to say, yes, this is me. I want to be in. I want to go with God. So why don't we all close our eyes? We're going to pray. And if you're feeling God's call to respond in any of those ways, to come to him in faith, to come to him in worship, to go for him into the world, then I'm just going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. And then in a moment, we're going to worship. So if you want to respond, why don't you stand? Why doesn't the band come up? And I'm going to pray in a moment. Father God, I thank you that you call us to a significant and powerful life, that we are not an accident, but we have been made to represent you in the world. And Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who who long to step into this calling afresh. And I pray that you would come now by your spirit and fill them to overflowing that you would equip them to go into the world, not by their strength, but by yours, to create and cultivate and shape the world that you intended. God, for those of us who long to come to you afresh in worship, would you fill our hearts with praise and make us a thankful people. And for anyone here, who isn't yet in the family and you want to be. And if you've not stood, it's not too late. You don't have to stand. You can just sit and respond. God invites you to come, to come in. All all we need to do is to say sorry for what we've done, done and to put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and ask him to come into our lives. So why don't you do that now? Why don't you say sorry? Say thank you. Say please come into my life. And Spirit of God, would you fall on each one of us. Move in our hearts. And speak to us the things that you want to say. Would you come? And let's just wait and pause. And if you're feeling God start to do something, why don't you stand as a a sign that you want to be in? 
that you're not just here as a passenger, but you want to step into all that God is doing. Lord, would you come?